Who do you look to as a sound guide for your theology? Several people have been influential to me from C.S. Lewis and N.T. Wright to Timothy Keller and Francis Chan. But in Luke 23, there is a very unlikely theologian who, in just three sentences, lays out a strong, basic Christian theology. Today on Where There Is Hope, we'll discuss the theology of a thief. Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. So if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you may have noticed that I love to study these moments where really unlikely people have profound moments or statements of faith. Like when Martha has her incredible confessions of faith in the wake of her brother Lazarus' death. And all these heroes of faith in Scripture are not ordinary men and women, but it resonates more for me when it's not from a prophet or a priest or a king or an apostle. And it's just an every, average, everyday person. So with that in mind, I want to take a look at a scene in Luke chapter 23, in verses 32 through 39 is where we'll start. And as we come to this part, Jesus has been convicted and has been sentenced to crucifixion. So beginning in Luke 23 and verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to a place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There also was an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So, John, this is a difficult scene. There's, there's three different types of people, three different groups, I guess you could say who are mocking or challenging Jesus in this scene. Who are they and what do they say? So you've got the, the people that are just standing there, but the rulers are scoffing him, saying he saved others, let him save himself, kind of challenging his authority. Um, and the soldiers in verse 36 are mocking him and they're offering him sour wine. And again, they're saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And even one of the guys hanging next to him, one of the criminals, is also questioning whether or not he's the Christ and telling him to save himself. So forgetting for just a moment that this is the Son of God on this cross, let's just pretend for the sake of this question, this is any other person who is being crucified, tortured to death. What do you think about the actions of the rulers and the soldiers and this other person who's being crucified? That's pretty cruel. I mean, you think like if nowadays if someone was being uh, put to death, let's say by the electric chair, and you had people sitting there laughing at him and poking fun at him, it was just it's absolutely cruel. Yeah, and um, shows the ill will of their heart. I think. 
Yeah, and you fortunately we we no longer live in a in a place where people are tortured to death. Um, and I'm not even going to go on about the death penalty. Lots of people have lots of opinions about that, but we we don't have anything remotely as cruel as this form of punishment is. And then, as you say, it adds insult to injury, literally, for them to be mocking him as he's dying and a very calloused and cruel heart that would do that to anyone. But again, this isn't anyone. This is Jesus. This is the Lord God in human form. And still this is happening. And no one speaks up. And that is surprising to me, even in a mob mentality, that that no one would stand up and say, goodness, can we not pull back on this a little bit? Uh, at least we don't have anything recorded. And it made me think of a couple of verses in Proverbs. In Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, it says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So at this point, who is speaking up for Jesus? Absolutely no one, like you said. So let's keep reading. And John, I want you to read these uh, next few verses. Read uh, verses 40 through 42. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So what we're talking about is this is the other person who is being crucified. So the three individuals, Jesus in the middle and a thief or criminal on either side. The first one was joining in with the rulers and and the soldiers and mocking Jesus or challenging Jesus. And so this other one finally is the one person in in the entire scene who speaks up. And so what I want to do is is spend the rest of this episode looking at what he says. Because I think that there, again, there, as I mentioned in the introduction, there is some fairly basic but fairly strong theology in his words. So let's start at the very beginning. The first thing he says, he says to the other thief, do you not fear God? Considering what's happening, he's saying, do you not fear God because... you're mocking an innocent man. Do you not fear God for also being under, under the same sentence? You are also literally being executed at this moment. Or do you not fear God because of who this is? I don't know what the theological or religious background of either one of these criminals were, but they knew Jesus. So the first thing that he says theologically is fear God. John, why is fearing God a building block of Christianity. The promise of the Christ starts in the Old Testament. And if you don't have a foundation where you understand that this isn't just a one-shot thing that happened out of nowhere, this is something that's been promised since the beginning of time, um, I think that's that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's saying, do you think this is it? Do you think this is all that life's about, or do you feel do you do you believe that there is more to this life, and that that uh, you know it's not just 
live and die and live and die and then there's something more yeah I, for for the atheist i would assume that they think the worst thing that could happen to you is you being tortured to death but for we who believe in god and believe in the god of the bible then we read that and we're like this is not the worst thing that could happen to you and so i i think that's the challenge i think that's what yeah. his his rebuke of the other criminal i think that's the point do you not even fear God? This could this could be worse. Hard to imagine it could be worse. It could be worse. So going on, he says, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. And in the way that I understand that, he's saying we're guilty. And that's a really foundational point of, of theology as well, right? Because both these thieves obviously are guilty and deserving of punishment. And maybe the Roman law was written in such a way that they were deserving of the death that they were in the middle of being executed. Are we deserving of death? Absolutely. And how do you know that? Uh, well, for one, the book of Romans talks about how uh, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But um, knowledge of Scripture shows us things that are called out as sin by God and... Um, I've got a long laundry list of things that I'm not proud of that I've done in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are, there are many places in Scripture that would tell you that there's, there's no one that stands before God and can proclaim that they're righteous. No one can do that. Um, you mentioned Romans 3.23, and that's the one that always comes to my mind, just saying, it's like Paul says, by the way, remember, we're all guilty. And that's what this, this thief says in so many words. So why is it important for us to understand that we are all guilty. I think for one, because we're, we're right there with him. We could have been hanging on the fourth cross right, mm-hmm. right next to him. But um, another, another thing, maybe this is a little bit of a um, precursor to your next point, but there was one who, who was not guilty ever, and he was hanging right next to him. Yeah, that's, that's a great segue. So the, other, the next thing that he says is, this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. I don't know how the thief knew any of this, but he, was, he seems to be convinced that Jesus was not deserving of this punishment that he was, about to, that he was going through. And one of the themes that you notice when you read through the book of Luke and then somewhat in the book of John as well is people speaking better than they know. And so this thief here says, this man has done nothing wrong. And I think it's, maybe it's accidental, but it's profound at the same time. Jesus has done nothing wrong. This is about more than this charge against him. This is about his entire life. He is sinless. He is perfect. There is no court that should have found him guilty because he has committed no crime. So... Yeah, it's a stark contrast to the thieves on the cross who are definitely guilty and admitting that they're guilty. And look at this man, look at this Jesus, and say, he's done nothing wrong. In in a recent episode, we talked about that, that Jesus' perfect life was more than him just being sinless, that he is also a perfect teacher and a perfect um, humanitarian and all those things. So, John, I'll ask you, what does Jesus' perfect life mean for you in your spiritual walk? Well, for one, I have an example to strive towards. Um, 
he was able to fulfill the perfect sacrifice that was needed to provide me comfort, and um, I owe him everything. Yeah. What about you? Well, you mentioned that perfect sacrifice, and I think, you know, we could talk about a lot of different things, but there's be nothing more important than that. We were simply incapable of finding a sacrifice sufficient for removing our guilt, making us righteous before God, until Jesus did it himself. And when Jesus, you know, offered himself as a perfect sinless sacrifice, he did what what couldn't be done in any other way. And then we could also talk about his model life and, and encouragement and comfort and so forth, but there's nothing more important than that, I think. So when the thief goes on, he says, he says one more thing that I think that we need to dwell on, and in a couple different ways. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Would he ask Jesus to remember him if he thought that this was it and nope. the end for all of them? No. Nope. It's like we brought up earlier. He saw that there was something else past this. Yeah. Yeah. They have a future. Yeah. I doubt that he had all the details of that worked out. But somehow or another, he was confident that there was a future and this was not the end of everything. Um, and I wonder, is, that, is it like that for us? You know, that we know that we have a future. We know that we have a future with the king, with Jesus. But maybe the details are blurry. Do you feel like it's that way for us as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like the way you've subtitled this little section, Jesus Will Live. Uh, Jesus lives now, mm-hmm. and all we really need to know, I mean, it's like we've talked about um, with the book of Revelation. I think it, it the details are fuzzy because we don't want to know exactly what it's like because we can't understand that yet. It, it's mm-hmm. All we need to know is that we want to be there. Yeah. Um, and and what, I, what I was trying to say is that we get to be with our king. We get to see him face to face and give him our appreciation and our praise and our our worship. And that's the next thing that I was going to... We, we both kind of, I think, accidentally brought it up already, but he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is king. Mm-hmm. Somehow he knows that. and And he says, not... If Jesus, remember me, if you come into your kingdom, if this all works out, then then could you please maybe remember me? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is happening. I don't know how he knows any of this, but, he's, but he declares it. So Jesus is coming into a kingdom of his own. This is the gospel of Jesus as the Christ. This is what it means, that Jesus has dominion, has rule over me and you and the entire world. And he's defeating sin. And all this is happening in real time as this thief is on the cross. What do you think it means to be remembered by a king? Uh, quite a lot. It means you have the favor of the king on your side. I think it's a tough picture for us nowadays because we don't really have kingdoms. But the king was, was everything in a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Whatever he said went, no matter what. You didn't agree. You weren't a member of the kingdom anymore. You were executed. Yeah. I'm not trying to paint a, a gross <laughs> picture there, but um, 
the king had ultimate authority, and I think that's the picture here, is that when you've got the favor of the king on your side, it, it means everything. Yeah, and there are several biblical examples of that, right? like Moses having the favor of Pharaoh, or Joseph having the favor of Pharaoh as well, or um, even Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, mm-hmm. all being favored by, by the king. Uh, and those are earthly kings with authority within their dominion, but Jesus is the eternal king. And so it means infinitely more than that. Would we pray something like that? Would we pray, Jesus, remember me? Or do you think we should? Uh, I, I don't know. It feels kind of weird, I think, but it, maybe it's because of the context of the situation. I guess me individually, I would feel weird saying that. But I think that's a me problem. Mm. I, I don't like. I guess that's what we're really we're really called to mm-hmm. um, that kind of relationship with Christ. But it's hard for me to to ask that Christ put me first, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, don't, I know that's not what he's doing here, yeah. but. Yeah, yeah, and I understand that we struggle finding that right balance between mm-hmm. requesting and making supplication and not feeling mm-hmm. like we're being selfish. Right. Yeah, that's a tough one to balance. So just as a recap, the theology of the thief on the cross looks like this. Fear God. We are all guilty. Jesus is innocent. Jesus will live. And Jesus is king. And so what does Jesus say in response to what the thief on the cross has said? In verse 43. It says, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right. I don't want to get hung up in the details. This is not about how the thief on the cross got saved and what exactly everything means. I think focus on almost everything that Jesus says here. I'm going to leave out the paradise part because that that part gets very confusing to me. But what he says is, today you will be with me. And if we put a period there, and I know the Word of God didn't, I'm just saying that if we did, that's enough. Do, do you care about the location? If he said, today you'll be with me in Paradise, or today you'll be with me in Cromwell, Kentucky, I don't, I don't care. No, yeah. Yeah, I don't care. So what did the thief do? The one thing that the thief did that no one else did while Jesus was dying and being mocked? You recognize the injustice of the situation and the deity of the king, and he stood up for him. We may say the thief on the cross had nothing to lose. After all, he was literally being crucified at this moment. But if we understand who we are, that we are eternal beings, then we don't really risk anything more than he did. So we can be be that bold. We can speak that boldly. Um, for our Lord. Does that encourage you, the way that the thief approached this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You think like, this is our message, like you brought up earlier, and to see what he's rewarded with for for bringing that message forth is incredible Mm -hmm. and um, gives me comfort and boosts my courage to do such things. Amen. So this week, taking all this with us, Speak up for the poor and the needy if you have that opportunity. Proclaim Jesus to someone who needs to hear it. 
Consider someone you love who needs to begin a relationship with God through Christ and tell them to fear God. Tell them we're all guilty. Tell them Jesus was innocent. Tell them that Jesus lives and tell them that Jesus is king. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him.